Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I did a little research this week on that ever-trustful internet, and I've always heard that the Inuit people of Alaska and northern Canada and wherever else they are, different groups of, it's a large group of people, have uh, many words for snow. And if you do that search on the internet, you'll hear people say a um, hundred words and others say, no, it's probably more like 50. Let's just say they got gobs of words for snow, which makes sense, doesn't it? If you live nine to 10 months out of the year in ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, head deep snow, you're gonna have different words for it. Well, I didn't grow up in snow. I grew up in Oregon and I grew up with rain. We didn't have 50 words that describe rain, but we had many different ways of describing it. And I don't miss it, to be honest with you. Most of the winter we had what was, you know, is drizzle. It, it, it would pour sometimes, but you know, I didn't own an umbrella growing up, never had an umbrella. Uh, we just wore a rain jacket and went to school because most of the time it was just this constant drizzle. And then in the springtime, that drizzle kind of shifted to, to much more of a downpour. But those downpours were really short. They were heavy, a lot of snow in the mountains, uh, and you just kind of hit out underneath the awning for a while and it came back out when it stopped. But the worst of all the rain that I remember is snow rain. Now, it's not, it's not freezing rain, it's, it's rain with, okay, the snowflakes are about that big and the raindrops are about that big. Okay, and they come down at the same time. And what makes it so miserable is that it gets into your bones. It's, it's not freezing, but it's so damp and the, your bones just ache because of that snow rain. And so you saw rain on the screen. Bless the rains in Africa. By the way, uh, just a side note on all that, uh, after 23 years of being here in Colorado, I no longer have uh, moss growing on the north side of my nose. So that's really a comforting thing. And maybe you look at the sign and say, oh, we're going to, this is kind of a logical extension. We're going to talk about moving the gospel out uh, from the ends of the earth as we've been talking about. We're going to talk about more specifically Africa. No, that's really not it. Well, you'll notice in the next two weeks, the tie with Africa has to do with the text that we're looking at. Today, the, the, it's not that the text we're going to look at today happened in Africa, but it involved a person from Africa. It involved an Ethiopian eunuch. We're going to take a look at that, that uh, account from Acts chapter 8 in just a few moments. And what we're also going to do during this series is combine that story that somehow involves Africa with a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. And today we're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 5 beginning in verse 13. And, and in fact, that's where I want to begin. I, we'll get to the story of the Ethiopian eunuch here in a moment, but let's begin by starting with what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown, and, thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. 
A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever, teaches them, whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me give you a little bit of uh, help to understand the Sermon on the Mount. And you go back to chapter 5, beginning of chapter 5, and you'll... Uh, Matthew tells us that there is a, a group of people coming uh, to Jesus. And as that group comes to Jesus, he singles out his disciples and he goes up on a mountain. He sits down because that was the position of a teacher in those days and the pupils stood around the teacher. So what Jesus is actually doing in the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 through 7, uh, he is instructing his disciples. The crowd, on the other hand, is around the outside of those disciples and are privileged to hear this instruction that Jesus is giving to his disciples. And so as we gather here today, as we've heard these words, we join that crowd. Jesus is teaching his disciples, and we are the crowd that gathers around the outside, and we learn that as Jesus is teaching the disciples, he's also teaching us, right? That's what this is all about. And what, what is he teaching us? Well, first of all, he's teaching us uh, that we are salt. And salt is a good thing. I'm not a salt, saltaholic, but uh, I do like to put salt on my food. Now, some of you, you got a problem, okay? Some of you will go to a restaurant before tasting any of it, you'll pour salt on everything. I saw a hand go up. <laughs> I'll go to a restaurant, I'll taste it, but more than likely, I'm still going to add salt to it anyway. Um, I enjoy it, but it's a flavor enhancer, right, as Jeremy shared with us. It enhances the flavor, and we, we don't want our food to taste bland. But what's also interesting about when Jesus says you are salt, it's rather negative, right? He goes to the negative immediately. He says, you know, if salt becomes tasteless, you know, how do you make it salty again? It's not good for anything except to be trampled underfoot. And, and we, we hear that, and we begin to realize, you know, I hear God saying that I'm salt, but I got to tell you, I'm not sure that I'm bringing or enhancing the life of the people around me. In fact, I'll bet every one of us here this morning, this last week, can pull out a time when we actually took life from people, where we, we didn't enhance it, we took the flavor from them instead by our attitude and what we said and what we did. Not real comforting. Jesus goes on to say, you are light. And here it's a little bit more positive, right? Because Jesus says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And you don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. You put it out so it gives light. And, and we, our good works are out there for people to see, right? And give glory to our Father in heaven. We say, yeah, that's good. And then we start thinking about our life again. 
And we start examining where we've been. And we sit there and say, yeah, not only did I put my light under a basket, I tried to blow it out this week. Maybe we're a little bit embarrassed about claiming to be a Christian in a very unchristian world, whatever it was. And that doesn't make us feel very good either. And Jesus goes on and talks about uh, that he has come to fulfill the law and the prophets. And you get to verse 20, and I want to focus on verse 20 for a second, because it really cuts us to the heart. When Jesus says, unless your righteousness, your good behavior, surpasses that of the, of the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And so we contemplate this for a while. We think about this. And we think about people in our life that we would say, that is my Christian example of what I'd like to be like. That's the way I want to live my faith. And you realize Jesus said, well, you got to, your life needs to surpass that or you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And it makes us feel like this, doesn't it? Oh, come on up. Makes us feel like we're failures. Got to be honest with you. Even from the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, it can make you feel like a failure. It can make you feel like I can never live up to the expectations Jesus has of us. And we may feel like the two disciples who were on the road to Damascus. Remember that? And Jesus said, resurrected from the dead, he is walking with them, and he opened to them the scriptures, and this was their response after Jesus left them. Did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to, to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures? This is the fire part that we're talking about. The word of God burns inside of us at times, and we feel like them. Our hearts are burning inside of us. So now let's let that hang for a moment. Okay? And now we're going to go to the account of the Ethiopian eunuch. You see, Jesus opened the scriptures to these two disciples on the road to Damascus, and their hearts burned inside of them. As maybe your heart is burning inside of you right now. Philip opens the scriptures for this Ethiopian eunuch. And let's see what happens. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of, Ethi of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to, to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scriptures that he was reading was this. Come on. There we go. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet uh, say this about himself or about someone else? 
Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were, were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And, the, and he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. He was drenched in the mercy of God. The scriptures were open to this Ethiopian eunuch, and he was drenched in God's mercy. He, he's the one who points out to Philip, here's some water. After Philip had opened the scriptures, after Philip explained who Jesus was and what he had done, and I can only imagine that it was very personal. The man says, here's water. What is to prevent me from being drenched? What is to prevent me from being Baptized, And we don't, you know, I thought about this as I was looking at this text again before I came to church this morning. And, and um, it's the, there's a little note in the text that Luke gives that says it was a desert place. So was it just a puddle? Because probably not a lot of water around there. Was it just a tiny little stream that just covered their ankles? It didn't matter. They both got in it and both of them get wet and this man is drenched with the mercy of God. And we are drenched in the mercy of God, and it changes everything. Okay, you and I may feel that, that as salt in this world, we're not doing a very good job of enhancing people's lives. And then we hear this passage from, from Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, 11. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. We may feel like a failure when it comes to being solved, but we are washed, we are sanctified, we are justified in Jesus Christ. We are forgiven. We may feel that we have hid our light under a basket, that we have blown, trying to blown out the candle. We are washed, we were sanctified, we are justified in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are forgiven. So what does this mean for you and me? As we head back once again to the Sermon on the Mount. We are declared to be salt. And what, what's the difference? God looks at you and God declares you to be salt yeah, we don't always get it right. It doesn't change the fact you are salt. And this week you will enhance the life of other people as you live your faith in Jesus Christ, as you live that faith that holds on to him and believes in him as your Lord and Savior. You will enhance the lives of others. Not perfectly, okay, so what? You are justified, sanctified, and washed in Christ. You know what? You're also light. You are declared to be light through the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. You are declared to be light and to be a blessing to others. As your good works are lived in the world. You know, let's talk about good works for just a moment. I may have said this with you before, but it's good to be refreshed anyway. What makes our works good? Okay. 
got to ask yourself that question. What makes our works good? Is there a high, a ranking of priority of works that you have on your refrigerator and saying, here's the best thing I can do in this, go down the list and here, here's what good works. So there's a hierarchy of good works that some are better than others. There is only one thing that makes our works good. Just as God declared you good in the blood of Jesus, it is that same blood of Jesus that declares your works good. What you do in faith in Jesus Christ, God declares to be good. There's no intrinsic value of making one thing better than another. We may look at that way as human beings, but God doesn't. He declares you good, and as a result, the things you do as a, as a person who lives in faith in Jesus Christ is also declared good. So holding the hand of your spouse today is a good work when you do it in Christ, right? Because you are Christ. And it's no worse of a work than feeding the hungry in Africa. It's all good work because it's done in Christ. And people will see our good works and give glory to the Father. And then, what does this mean? It means we are declared by God to be a success. We're not failures. So I played collegiate soccer. Believe it or not, I played collegiate soccer. I did. That was in 1974 to 70. Uh, I played till uh, one year of seminary, so into 78. And soccer in those days was more like a club. <laughs> Most of us who played didn't, had never played soccer before. I played defense all the way through college, but when I got to seminary, the coach put me back in the, in, as, a, as a keeper. That was a mistake. Um, this guy, this coach we had at seminary had just, uh, uh, the, the North American Soccer League team in St. Louis had folded, and he had coached that team. He had just spent the summer before my first year of seminary in Europe uh, working with goalies. There was no way I was gonna succeed. And the first game that we played, I still can remember uh, him on the sideline. I was terrible. I was. I stunk in that game. And he let me know it from the sideline. Exactly. I still remember these words. You stink. You're no good. God will never say that to you. God will never say to you, you stink. You're no good. because you're in Christ. You've been drenched in Christ. Yes, the fire still hits us at times. My devotions in the morning is my therapy. I read the scriptures, sometimes it hits me between the eyes of where I failed, but it what does it do next? It takes me to Jesus and who I truly am in him. So what happened to this Ethiopian eunuch? Well, we don't know. What we do know uh, historically proven is that the church in Africa grew quickly. We don't know, there's traditions out there that this Ethiopian eunuch had something to do with that, but we really don't know that. But Alexandria in Egypt became a, a center for Christianity. What's God going to do with you as you've been drenched in his mercy? I don't know. But I know you will be 
God's salt, and you will be God's light, and he will declare what you do in him a success. May we go out with that confidence into the world. Amen.